0: Survive and Thrive is an independent program produced by Brynmar Communications
1: and supported by advertising from Johnson and Johnson Vision. I'd like to welcome everyone to our Survive and Thrive webcast for Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Uh, we're waiting for some of our attendees to join, but as as everyone is is hopping on. Um, I just want to say thank you to our esteemed panel and and our co-moderator tonight. Um, Our co-moderator is Dr. Uday Devkin. He needs no introduction, but uh, nevertheless, I'll I'll let you, for those who may not know uh, the cataract coach, I'll, I'll introduce him. He is in private practice at Devkin Eye Surgery. He is a professor of ophthalmology at Jules Stein UCLA. He is chief of ophthalmology at Olive View, which is a county medical center in L.A., and obviously, the founder of cataractcoach.com. Um, I also have with us tonight Drs. Sheree Fathi, who is a resident at Wills, uh, Dr. David Felstead, who's in uh, practice in Arizona. We have Nandini Venkateswaran, who is at uh, Mass Ioneer. And, and we have uh, Dagny Zhu, who is on the West Coast as well, uh, private practice in Vision. All right, with that all said, uh, tonight's topic is going to be about preparing for our first time in surgery. And, you know, this is something that when it happens, you, you just remember it. You kind of remember it forever. Um, it's kind of like doing your first surgery in residency, but without the training wheels. So uh, we're going to be talking about what it's like to be there without your favorite attending um, over your shoulder, giving you guidance. And what it's like to be, you know, taking the reins for yourself. Um, interestingly, we've had a couple of our panelists had this experience this week, so the timing could not be better. Um, but before we get started with our panelists, Uday, I just want to say thank you for joining us. And, My pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Do you, have any, do you have any thoughts on on this topic? I know you've Cataract Coach has been helping people along the way, but what do you think about this topic in general?
2: It's a very important topic because for the first time it's all on your shoulders. No one's there to help you. No one's sitting next to you. No one's there to immediately bail you out. It becomes tough. It's challenging. And in fact, in the, in our era where we're no longer grading people, um, your patients think that every surgery is the test
1: and That's
2: they want right. a hundred percent.
1: That's right. That's right. I had, I had 33 cataracts today. My last patient said, um, I guess all those other patients were warm-ups, right? You saved the best for last. You're gonna give exactly. me your best. So I said, yes, they were all practice and our best is saved for you. So yeah, this is this is something that I think we all when we're when we're in training, we're sort of thinking about getting through training and how stressful training is. And then all of a sudden you're done and you realize, oh, there was more to learn. And you had a great video that I watched earlier today because I love Cataract Coach. For anyone who's out there um, watching or listening to this later on, um, cataractcoach.com, in my opinion, is the very best website um, for ophthalmologists who are learning cataract surgery, both in residency and out. I still go there myself. I've done 20,000 cataracts. And I go to cataractcoach.com because I want to keep learning. And I don't know if there's anyone better to learn from than than Uday Devgan. Um, so if you haven't heard of it, please, I implore you, there are so many important topics on the website. Uh, you just can't go wrong. There's hundreds. Is there over 200 videos? What's no,
2: the- no. We're almost at a thousand.
1: I mean, see, this a is new, a new
2: one every day. And you're know, every- you, Today, I watched Cataract Coach because I did that my seventh ever DMEC with a resident. And I just wanted to review a video that I'd made courtesy of Peter Veldman from University of Chicago who is amazing. I watched all, put them down and congealed them into one video. And I put it on cataract coach a month ago. Every, before every DMIT, I watched his video. You I didn't do it his style.
1: Yeah. I think that's, I think that's something about mental preparation. I mean, I've been learning hydras which is um, you've been a really uh, interesting journey for me. I'm, I'm not a glaucoma surgeon. Uh, this is sort of my first foray into MIGs and I finally kind of figured it out. And, and when I figured it out, I had it recorded. And now before every case, just like you said, to remind myself, because yep. I'm not doing them every day. I might do a couple a week and there might be a couple weeks go by where I don't do any. And so I want to refresh myself. So that's a, that's a good learning point for, for residents. And, and obviously out in fellow or beyond fellowship, when you're in private practice um, watching your own videos is a great way to prepare.
2: Yeah. Learning doesn't stop. At the culmination of residency and fellowship. If you do that, you'll be one of those ancient dinosaurs who 30 years later says, Well, this is how I learned it in my trading. You've That's got to right. keep evolving every year. I learn something new every week, every day. And the way I operate today is not the way I did it five or 10 years ago.
1: No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Chair, before we get into the meat of this, I do want to give a special shout out to our sponsor tonight, Johnson Johnson Vision. Um, it's because of their sponsorship that we're able to do these kind of programs. And I love Johnson and Johnson vision. I love everyone there. I think it's a fantastic company, Um, but I really appreciate their um, commitment, not only just to educating ophthalmologists, but especially young ophthalmologists and residents in training. So I want to say a special thank you to Johnson, Johnson vision, and uh, especially Jamie Morgan. Uh, So thank you, Johnson, Johnson vision for allowing us to do this. Um, okay, so I want to get into um, our, our panelists. I want to let you guys uh, take over a little bit, because this is really more about you than it is about us, because this is your real life. Uday and I have been there. And, and when I was, you know, your age, Uday was the guy, I told him this earlier, Uday was the guy I was looking to, I was trying to figure out how do I be like Uday. And I, and I still haven't gotten there, but I'm, I'm, I keep trying. Um, so I want to talk, we'll start with Nandini. Uh, Nandini, you said you had your first cases, um, was it last week?
3: Yeah, last week, last Tuesday and Friday was my first Yay. OR week, and yep. I decided to go in strong. My first case was a combo retina temporary K-Pro PKP, <laughs> followed by my first panoptics <laughs> and then an wow. IOL exchange, and then... I tried injecting SF6 gas for one of my keratoconic patients with hydrops, So I made it very exciting for myself all in a two day stretch. And I don't think I slept for two weeks prior to my week. <laughs> um, but I think it, it was such a humbling experience. And I think you have to walk in just knowing that you're ready to take this on, but you, you have the training, you have the skill sets, but you just have to prepare yourself for the fact that you're in a new environment you're all by yourself, and you just kind of have to figure things out on your own. One of the things I thought was super helpful was my first few weeks at my new job were slow. I went to the OR, I shadowed a few of the senior surgeons, I got a feeling for how the OR flowed, how the paperwork worked, because I don't have a, I'm not, have ai am i am my own fellow now, I'm doing everything on my own. <laughs> how to order lenses, you know, introduce myself to the nurse manager. I made a list of all of my instruments that I liked from fellowship and made sure that the OR had them. And I ordered anything I needed well in advance so that I felt as most comfortable as I could be. And I leaned on my reps. I had my LensX rep there, my Aura rep there, um, my um, Alcon rep there for my Centurion machine just to get my settings in place to make sure I was docking the laser appropriately, making sure I knew how the Aura worked. So all of that just put me at ease. And then the time I was in the OR, I went into the OR, I introduced myself to every single person, and I was like, this is my first day, take care of me. And the, the staff is your saving grace, they're going to have your back, and they've seen a lot of beginning surgeons struggle through their first few cases, so they'll they'll give you the instrument you need when you forget the name of it or what you actually want, um, and and they'll, they'll certainly have your back. And I came in giving them a list of everything I needed, and they made sure that it was there for me. And... I also made sure that I mentally rehearsed every step of every surgery I was going to do. There were so many different cases I was doing, so I just made sure I could mentally know exactly what I was doing. I had contingency plans for each of the cases, and then when you go into the OR, you feel less stressed about it. You you've kind of walked yourself through many of the scenarios um, that you could potentially encounter. And I watched a bunch of cataract coach videos. I was watching your angle alpha, angle kappa video just to make sure I knew how to center my first panoptics and make sure. You know, everything was good. So all of those little things are so helpful. And for my Iowa exchange case, one of the nicest things about being in an academic institution is you have people to fall back on. So one of my own senior residents from Bascom Palmer is a retina doc there. So I had him on backup call just in case the lens went posteriorly, which it didn't, but he was free enough to just come hang out with me in the OR just to make sure the case was going okay. So all of those things made everything really pleasurable, but at the same time required a lot of pre-planning and a lot of thought process into it.
2: Ah, oh, you did great.
3: Yeah, yeah, it was exciting, and my patients are happy this week, so I'm I'm just like breathing a sigh of relief and signing up a few more.
1: Don't you feel like it's almost equally nerve wracking going to see them the next day for the post op as it is walking into surgeries it, because you just mm-hmm. want them so oh, badly to be your advocate that you're a good surgeon. You know, it's like. Yeah. We all think we're good surgeons and and we want to sort of build that reputation, but it's really our patients who will build that for us. That's the only way we can do that. So I remember wanting to walk in and just see smiles. And um, so was that was that something you were a little nervous walking in, like hoping that they were gonna be doing well?
3: Oh yeah, I couldn't sleep the night out. I wanted to do like post op day zero. <laughs> I yeah. was like I just want to know how everyone's doing, but then you know, you see them the next day and you're like, okay, it's going to get better. And then you see them at week one, like I did today in clinic. And you're like, all right, she's 2020 J one. And she's really thrilled. And That's you know, awesome. that made my whole day and had me more confident signing up a few more FACOs for a few weeks from now. So it's baby steps, but certainly gratifying.
1: What about music? Do you, can you listen to me? I, I, I got to get the temperature of the room here. I have to have music. <laughs> For me, it's if I'm doing something stressful, it has to be reggae music because it just kind of, you know, it just kind of chills me out a little bit. So when I'm doing something new, I and and Rob Weinstock and I had this conversation. We both independently um, listen to reggae music when it's something stressful. So not any any music choices for your first day in the OR.
3: I'm kind of like a top 40s girl, or I'll listen to some T Swift and she calms me down. Oh, me too. T-Swift. That's like my OR.
1: <laughs> I like,
2: si- I like silence, no music,
1: no music Ever. for Uday. Okay. All right, David, what about you? What you, are you a music guy?
4: So my senior partner chose the music for my OR day and it was acoustic and that was okay. Perfect.
1: Okay. Cherie, can you listen to the music at wills? Is that allowed?
4: Um, mine's my attending
5: speaking in my ears right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At some point, it'll switch over.
1: That's fantastic. All right. Yeah. David, you had your first OR day yesterday, correct? Yeah, Yep. All right. So, ta- walk us through it. This is, I assume it's going to be a little bit different case mix than Nandini had it at Mass Eye and Ear.
4: Well, Nandini is at a whole higher caliber than me. So, um, I'm just going to humbly admit, you know, my first day was a rodeo. And um, I lived through it, um, and you know she mentioned so many great things. I I made a list, and she basically hit every single one that I had down there. Um, you know, for me, I ended residency in July, and yesterday was my first OR day, so I had a lot of downtime. Um, and so, in that meantime, I tried to shadow as much as I could, any other surgeon, um, and I also did a couple wet labs um, with the Alcon reps and model eyes um, when I could. Um, so that was really helpful. And then um, I made sure all my settings were transferred from residency, just like she said. Um, I reviewed all my charts um, ahead of time, multiple times. And I went through all the calculations twice and I picked out all my lens choices twice, um, including Sulcus and ACI Will. Um, I also went through my surgical plans with my partner just to make sure I wasn't missing anything before. Um, I plan to not change up any of my routine from residency. I didn't try anything new. Um, and my goal is just to go as slow as possible. Um, so there was actually an ASC meeting that we had the day before my surgery day. And I just met with everybody and said, hey, listen, I'm a new surgeon, um, expect some complications. A lot of the patients I'm seeing are from an Indian reservation where um, the acuity is a little bit higher and um, the complexity is great. Um, and so just expect things to be different, expect the flow to be different um, and expect to have new, new things come down the pipeline. Um, I think for new surgeons, understanding that um, you're not just performing surgery, you're performing a whole new dance, um, new instruments, new microscope, maybe a different machinery, um, you know, new staff, someone's handing you instruments differently. Um, all of that comes into, into play when you start. Um, I think one of the mistakes I made, and I, I'm humbled to admit this, is um, be really selective on your patient charts the first time. Um, I was not looking into that very carefully. Um, and so some of my patients had, you know, a prior ACI well the fellow eye, or prior trauma or pseudo X. Um, I had one mature cataract, um, one was on dehiscence. Um, and so, yeah, for me, I wish I would have gone back and asked the surgery um, schedulers just to be a little bit more cautious about who they put on my list for the first day. Um, I would say have a low threshold for TriPan and and If you notice any iris quivering, um, if the capsule looks you know, at all challenging. Don't be afraid to stain. Don't be afraid to put the, the ring in. Um, I think I,
1: think, I oh, go ahead keep going.
4: Oh, I was gonna say, I, I um, asked my partner to be there for the first time, just to make sure, you know, if I had any problems, he'd be there just in case on standby, just like uh, Nandini. Um, and then my last, and I, I did write this um, watch cataract, cataractcoach.com. Um, that has just <laughs> saved me. And I I'll say this again and again, it saved me so many times of making mistakes. Um, and it took me from a, a totally different level uh, of operating in residency, and I'm going to continue to do it throughout, you know, my years uh, practice. Um, and practice. Then my my last step is uh, rest, eat, and relax as most as, as best as you can.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's fantastic. Something you mentioned is about the new dance. And uh, before we talk about that, I do want to I want to remind um, our pan- our attendees. Um, if you have questions, we do have live question and answer, and we can see those questions. So I said we give some shout outs. We've got uh, Bilal Ahmed on here. We've got Brett Mueller on here. Christopher Zhu. Um, we've got uh, Emily uh, Scheinhel. Sorry, sorry uh Gabriella Trebel. Jeremy Kurdna. Ravi Gol, Who Ravi's got an interesting story. He did his first first surgeries on 9-11. I cannot believe the stress that that would have been. Uh, we've got mm-hmm. Sufyan uh, Ahmad. So thank you all for joining us. We've got some others uh, joining as well here. Uh, but but David, just to bring it back to what you said, a new dance, that is what it is. You're used to the dance partners that you had in residency. You're used to that trusty scrub tech who knew what you needed before you asked for it. You'd ask for something wrong and she or he would give you the thing you actually needed, not what you asked for. Um, I learned this when I went out in in my private practice. So, So my story real quick is I went to a rural private practice that I set up myself. I set up a shingle. I was an hour from the nearest ophthalmologist. So I was out by myself. There was no retina around. There was no other attending. It was just me. And so I had to put on my big boy pants and just go and do surgery. And, you know, my, my residency program was an hour away. If, if there was an issue, I could refer people. I knew that was an option, but you know, I, 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 re- I recognized very quickly that I needed to um, instruct the staff what I wanted. So you're writing down every step from your incision with your, know, your diamond blade and your left hand for the paracentesis. You know, every single thing that you do, you want to write that down and give that to your scrub tech so that they know exactly what step you want, what, what you call things because some people call, you know, Rex's forceps, Rex's forceps. Some people call them utratas. You know, there's some, some lingo that, you know, you, you know what you want, but they might not, um, they might not call it the same thing. So how you call which instruments, making sure they have the instruments, but so I learned that the first time when I was in private practice, um, you know, setting up you know, my my practice, I learned it the second time when I went to um, El Salvador doing some first in man trials, and I was in a new operating room, and you know, follow or hablo español un poquito, so my my Spanish is not that good, so now I'm in a new environment, I've got different equipment different microscope, different FACO machine, no one, you know, my, my scrub tech doesn't speak English. So now it's, it, and I realized, I even though I felt like a really competent surgeon, if you don't have that relationship with the scrub tech where they know what you want and you're comfortable, you can feel out of place really quickly. And so going to a new operating room, so you, you guys may experience this as you, you know, you develop and you may operate different centers. Each time you operate at a new center, it's going to feel it's going to feel this way. So all these things that you're talking about, all these habits and, and things and nuanced things, you're really good at it right now because you know you need it. You're going to need to do the same thing even five thousand cases in when you go because, like like David said, it is a new dance. Um, Uday, what do you think about this? I, you've operated at a ton of places. I mean, it is really you. You have to develop that rapport.
2: For sure. I mean, it just you got to. And if you're operating on a patient whose first language isn't your own, at least learn and write down how to say, look at the light, which I can do in no less
1: than 10 languages. That's awesome. That is, that is fantastic. LA L- is very
2: mixed. And so you got to speak a lot of language. So as long as you can, as they say in Tagalog, Tining Sailau, look at the light. Or in Armenian, Lucin Nair. You got to be able to tell them, look at the light.
1: Mira a la luz. Mira la luz, claro.
2: <laughs> or, 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 italiano, guarda la luce. That's Whatever right. it
1: takes, but That's you got to learn it. So, Dagny, um, we were talking about um, not only your first time, you know, post residency doing doing surgery, but implanting your first premium IOL. Your story coinc- basically takes both of those and puts it into one. So, tell us a little bit about your experience um, after residency and and what it was like.
6: Yeah, so after fellowship, I I started at a practice. I basically bought into a practice right away. And it happened to be a very high volume refractive practice. And so these were patients with very high expectations, um, all wanting refractive surgery to be free of glasses. And so my first case was already, actually my first OR day, it was pretty much 100% premium IOLs. Um, so-
1: <laughs> No pressure, no pressure.
6: Um, but like Nandini did it too, you know, her first panoptic, so it's, it's totally doable. Um, I And- in the center that I'm at, basically I'm the solo surgeon. So a lot of my surgeries I actually do in-office, which is really convenient. I have an in-office suite. Um, but unlike Nandini, who's in a great academic center, and like there's probably a bunch of surgeons in the building while she's operating, like her retina friend, you know, it's, it's nice to kind of have that mentally, you know, mental support backup, knowing that in case something happens, hey, there's someone next door who could come down and help you. For me, I was literally alone. Like I was the only surgeon in the entire building, in the entire clinic. So I had no one else to to fall back on. And that's kind of how we are in private practice. Uh, Maybe if you're an ASC, maybe there's some surgeons around, but um, at least for me, I'm like alone most of the time. So I definitely agree with David and how I approached it. You know, prior to my first day, I had their surgeon who I bought the practice from, you know, she's a retired surgeon. I had her sit in with me. For the first couple of OR days, just to make sure, you know, I'm doing everything properly, just so I can familiar, familiarize myself with the femtosecond laser, which I had never used. In Bascom Palmer, we got certified on literally every platform, except for the Lens AR, which is the one I have at my practice. <laughs> um, and so I got some time with her to familiarize with everything. And um, so by the time that I started on my own, you know, I was already kind of familiar with the equipment I was familiar with the staff and that made things a lot easier and I don't actually to be honest remember my first surgery solo what I remember is probably like my first complication solo (laughs) and those first like hundred cases solo you're gonna have something go wrong. It's so strange. Like you could be flying through and training and you feel like you've got it. By the time you've graduated, you feel like you've got it. But for some reason, when you're starting on your own alone, like small things just pop up here and there, and it can go downhill really fast. And I think that's what made me the most nervous starting out was not necessarily doing the surgery on my own, but anticipating like, what if I have a complication? How will I deal with that on my own? So Prior to my first day, you know, I would make sure I watched videos on how to do a vitrectomy, refresh my memory on how to do a vitrectomy properly. I would make sure I knew the retina person in the community. So I I knew who I would have to send to in case something went wrong. And so like you guys said, you know, just having that contingency plan. And then when you finally get to that point where something does go wrong, like you feel like, okay, I got this, I can do it. And when you inevitably, you know, take care of things and thankfully have the patient do okay, you feel like the next time you're not as nervous, you're not as scared. You feel like, well, what's the worst that could go wrong? I've already managed it. I know what to do. And you, so you feel more confident each time. Um, so that's sort of how I approach it. And now I, I pretty much almost like there's nothing, you know, to be afraid of, you know, because as long as you feel like you, you have a backup plan and you, you're mentally prepared for it and you've had experience.
2: I think one important issue is the learning, learning like- curve. You know, when you finish two or three hundred cases in your training, you think, well, I did pretty well. I'm pretty. That's not even halfway up the curve. And only when you hit case 2000, do you realize, wow, I've come so far. You will learn more in your first couple years in practice than in the prior 10 years of your life about doing surgery. That's the amazing part. And so you've got to get past that. So I never in my life met a surgeon who said, oh, yeah, 2000 cases. I was about the same, you know,
1: in, in terms of talent as I was at 200. Um, but Uday, I think you're exactly right. You know, there are, I feel like there's different stop off points um, where you start feeling so, sort of comfortable and then you sort of go backwards because you feel too confident and you start doing stupid things. You stop hearing that little voice or stop paying attention to that little voice of, Oh, I don't know. That might be, So, I mean, I'll, for example, I'm doing a case the other day. At the end of INA, I look and I, if, to my knowledge, I never engaged capsule the entire case. At the end, there's like a half a millimeter, perfect circle in the very middle of the capsule. I don't know how it got there. Clearly, I did it. I know we always try to say, I didn't do it. The Who patient else had it? bad tissue. Yeah, who else was in there? Of course, I did it. It was me. I did something stupid, or I, I missed it. But the problem is, positive thinking has no impact on whether or not the capsule is actually broken or not. Right? Very true. This denial is just going to make this get worse. So what I do? Lowered my bottle height. Took out my second instrument. Turned it off visceral, Turned off you know irrigation. Put some viscoelastic in the bag. It was a perfect circle, so it wasn't running out anywhere. Put the lens in the bag. Got out of Dodge. It was fine. But if I had just decided, oh, that's not really there. I'm just going to deny this. You know, then you, you get into trouble. Hey, so, tell the patient this way. You don't need. they will never need to add capsulotomy. That's Yay. right. That's right. Man. That's. <laughs> That's right. So Uday, you were talking about these different waypoints yeah. along the way. And you said 50 is, is the danger zone. Talk to, talk to us about that.
2: Yeah. So I've taught residents here at UCLA for 20 years and we have eight residency years. That's a lot of residents that I've taught. Um, case 50-ish is when you finally get a little comfortable. It's like case 50-ish is the ability to like stand up on your snowboard. And you say, oh, I can look, I can balance, I can stand up. And then you I make a this. turn and boom, there you go, you hit the ground. So, yeah, 50 to 100, like, whoa, that's a special time where be cautious because you're still learning. And then I think the next kind of plateau is a lot of people finish. Our, our residents pre COVID would easily do 300 cataracts in, the, in, in their training and maybe another 100 or so in a good fellowship somewhere. But that's still three, four, 500. It's not enough. You really have to be patient when you get out there and practice. And rack up the numbers because the things that happen rarely, you need to do a thousand cases to see it. And then what changes, what you were alluding to is you notice things faster earlier on and you stomp out that denial. Yeah. And that's a hard, that's a learned thing. It takes time.
0: Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts.
1: Absolutely. So speaking of which, Sheree, you are in training still. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of this is on your mind about the learning curve of cataract surgery, kind of where you're at in the process, what it's going to be like when you're done. What has your experience been like? You said you're right now on a very high surgical um, volume portion of your training. So talk to us about that.
5: Yeah, I mean, that's really funny. I just passed 50 cases uh, during this cataract block. I thought at least Dr. Devgan would be like, you're like on training wheels or something, but apparently I'm just standing up on the snowboard. You're so yeah. doing it. Up. Yep. Noted. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's fascinating, like Dr. Devigan says, and it says he, in a lot of his videos, you know, there is that kind of, um, you know, change and sort of feeling like you're just trying to get through the case once you've hit 50. But I mean, that being said, I mean, I could take the same case, one can take me like 20 minutes, the next one takes like the full hour that I'm blocked. So obviously, there's a lot of learning curve still there. Um, so I think I'm just very much in like the continually humbled period of learning. Um, and, and, you know, the, the great thing is that we get to do some really difficult cases too. So, you know um, in any given day, I could I'm usually not doing a, like a two plus at It's usually some sort of complex case. So definitely, you know, like I said, humbling and I'm learning a lot. So um, yeah, this one, I'd, I'd love to hear from you guys kind of how it felt this early in the learning curve. And um, you know, what I could do from now um, to prepare myself for, you know, that first time solo because it's coming up faster than,
2: Re- than video record even. every surgery and watch them. You got to watch game day footage. Otherwise you can't improve. Perfect. I still Gary still records every case after we've done 20,000. We still record every case. You
5: still record them.
1: It, Everyone. It's, it's so important because the problem is while you're doing the surgery, you're thinking, man, I'm so good like look at this if anyone was watching this they'd be like this is really good footage i'm amazing at least that's how i look at it and then i watch it back and i'm like why what am i why am i going so slow what is this This is so boring i wouldn't watch this like i hope no one ever sees this so it's funny in real time how you your perception of how you're doing is very different than watching it in in reverse and so you know today i was doing a bunch of cases and my goal was every Rexus 100% uh, IOL overlap and every Rexus no more than four touches. So, you know, sometimes I'll play these little games with myself of like perfecting, not just a good surgery, but I want it's just a mental game. I, you know, I play Perfect with myself every step. You got it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I will say, like, as you're learning, you need to set little goals for yourself. Not just did I break capsule or not, because that's an artificial goal. There's a lot of things that can go right in a case that ends up with a complication. It doesn't mean you're a bad surgeon. It just means that there is a step and and there's not, I'm just going to say this. Not every cataract is possible to get out without a cataract, without a complication. There are some eyes, there are some capsules that are not, they're just not conducive to cataract surgery. So you know, I'm not saying that as a cop-out. I'm just saying as a fact, I mean, there's, you're going to have complications. It's just, if you don't want to have complications, don't do surgery. It's just part of the deal. It's how you, it's how you overcome that. It's how you recognize and adapt to it. Um, but ha- you, you have to set little milestones. You have to, you have to try to perfect each step. And one thing I want to actually want to get Uday's take on this. This is my hot take. I think one of the hard, easiest things to do, but hardest things to master is actually the self-sealing corneal incision that is something my tunnel length is still after twenty thousand cases my tunnel length is still more variable than i would like it to be and now i do use the wong incision which i think if there was a nobel prize to be given out in ophthalmology i would give it to dr wong in princeton new jersey if you happen to listen to this dr wong I am your biggest fan. You've saved me <laughs> the lifetimes of, of BSS that I have not had to irrigate into the eye because the Wong incision, if you want a, something to close, use the Wong incision. It's, it's the most underrated move. But Uday, what do you think about, I always taught takeoff and landing. Those are the two most important times in a flight and the two most important times in a surgery. So your incision <clears throat> is, is there at the beginning. It's there at the end. Talk to, talk to us about the incision. So I don't actually use the long way, but I think it is brilliant.
2: Um, I have a whole section on cataract coach about just incisions, including we have a fancy microscope here in our county hospital that has the OCT built thin. So resin will make an incision and I'll OCT it immediately, like, there's your incision. So I think understanding and mastering a great incision is super important. Remember this, you do a cataract surgery and I see your patient 10 years later. The coronary edema resolves, so of the inflammation. I see two things. What's your incision? What's your rex? That's yep. all I see. Yep. That's your signature. You leave yes. that on every eye. And if you want to know what a goal is, I did cataract surgery this week on an ophthalmologist who's retired. And she's like, she said, oh, here's the lens I want. I want this done. And she says, I want to video of the surgery afterwards. Happy oh to. God. And the video is going to be up on cataract coach in two weeks. <laughs> but so that's the pressure. You're under. like, I mean, I'm a fellow ophthalmologist wants a video of me doing her surgery. And I did it i went beautifully. But so, it's, it's no question, even now, 20 years later, there was still pressure. I was like, man, this Rex has better be spot on perfect. <laughs>
1: That's right. <laughs> I, I'm So I had, this is another little thing, you know, coming out of COVID, you know, I was off for a little while. And I will tell you, you know, even that repetition day by day, if you take nine weeks off, it's a little weird, you know, you gotta, it's a little keep different. Keep your hands wet. Keep the hands wet. You got it. Absolutely. And I will tell you, I was feeling a little bit of anxiety. You know, even after so many cases, I felt, I started feeling a little anxiety. I'm like, Do I still have it? Do I, you know, you kind of play your mind plays tricks on you. And I, I don't know where I read this or I heard this, but someone told me pressure is a choice. It's something we put on ourselves that isn't real. You know, yeah. you choose to buy into whether there's pressure there because you're living in the future. You're living in the anxiety of whether this goes right or wrong. The best thing I can tell you all is when you're feeling pressure, just recognize the only thing that is real is right now. In the future, that'll take care of itself. The past, doesn't matter. All you've got is right now. So don't worry about feeling pressure. That's, that's the problem when we do surgery on family members or VIPs. The whole time we're thinking about what if this goes wrong? Well, guess what? If you think about what if this goes wrong, something's going to go wrong. You got to think about Don't worry about that. Gotta have that mental
2: flow, state of flow.
1: State of flow. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, So we were talking about uh, having a backup plan and knowing who to call if something goes wrong. And Dagny, you said something I really liked was that you you found the retina guy or gal in town. Um, Talk to us about that. How do you, I think it's really important to build relationships with people. You don't wanna just call someone when it's bad. You know, you want to send some retina referrals over, some injections. You want to start, sort of get that pipeline greased. So what, what have you done in your area to sort of build those relationships?
6: Yeah, so the retina um, clinic that I use, we actually have a fairly long relationship even before I took over the practice. And so that was, that's why I was comfortable with him. Um, But we do send him a lot of referrals every time we have patients come in for a refractive screening, LASIK, they want LASIK, and they have this florid diabetic retinopathy, you know, he's the guy that I I send them to, Um, and uh, he gets them all good with Avastin, and then they come back to me for cataract surgery later down the road. But um, yeah, those are the type of relationships you need to have early on. And I think it's also great to have a relationship with someone who you trust and you know is not going to throw you under the bus. (laughs) A lot of times, you know, these can be very difficult situations when you're dealing with complex pathology and a lot of high-risk cataract surgeries. And if something were to go wrong, you know, you, you want, you know, the person that you send the patient to to say, hey, this surgeon, you know, did everything they could for you. I know this person, you know, I can vouch for them. You know, you just had a really complex case, a really tough case. They did all, you know, all of these things. And They sent them, you know, you to me so that I can take good care of you. And we're both going to, you know, care for you going forward. We're both going to take really good care for you. And so you kind of have like this um, team mentality. It's someone who's on your team, you know, the retina guy that you decide to partner with. You guys really have to be on the same side and not like, you know, someone who's going to kind of throw you under the bus. Like I was saying, that's really important.
1: I think another first is having that first conversation with a patient when you've had a, a complication um, and, and showing honesty. I, I really feel like the best defense against a malpractice lawsuit is being really open and honest with people when something goes wrong. You know, it's uh, people are, I think, more gracious than we give them credit for. Um, if you're upfront with them. What they don't want to feel like is something happened and it just sort of magically disappeared. So you want to make sure that in your op note, you're meticulous about everything that happened in that in the OR, you're just meticulous about what you observed, how you handled it, what happened next. So there's a really good record of sort of your thought process of how you're reacting to things during surgery. And then also, just that kind touch to say, you know, we, we, there's a few bumps in the road and I think you're going to be fine when it's all said and done. We've got a couple steps we're going to have to get, go through yeah. to get there. Um, so being reassuring, but, and not minimizing, but, but also being, being honest with the patient. I mean, um, G- Gary, yeah. a great example of
2: this is you're doing cataract surgery and drop the nucleus. It's happened to me. I put the video up on cataract coach. So of course, everyone who operates, it happens. But there's no medical liability in dropping the nucleus. You try whatever you could. Now, if you go fish for it in the vitreous with the phaco probe and cause a giant retinal tear, that's a liability. Or if you're in denial in the post-op period and you leave that nucleus just floating in the vitreous for a couple of months, hoping it'll disappear magically, that's a problem. But if you tell the patient, even leave me phacic, hey, we got a part of your cataract, but the tissues we're operating on weren't able to hold the whole cataract or there's a rupture in your capsule. We're gonna send you to this retina doctor. It's gonna take some time. Then we'll come back and put another lens in and tell them whatever it takes, I'm by your side. This yep. is my cell number. When you see the retina doctor, you need to call me and you and I need to touch base every week. If I don't see you this week, you better text me. You hold the patients closer, not like uh, return to clinic six months or never. No, hold them closer. And then the patients do well and honestly, the patient I showed the video of was, was a nurse who had a prior trauma. She actually had an individual tra- ejection trauma. She said, you know what? It was so good to have that me, because now I got no floaters left. <laughs> I was like, yep. And then I, I'm, also, I'm also very lucky because the, the main retina people I referred to were my former residents.
1: Oh, that's very convenient. Commu- so talk about relationship. <laughs> that's huge. That is huge. David, what are your what are your thoughts on that? I mean, this is something that we're all going to go through, and it's humbling. It's something that you know we don't we wish was not a reality, but it's something we all have to go through. So, any thoughts on on managing complications and managing the patient expectations and post op stuff?
4: Yeah. um, So first, uh, I'm going to ask this question. Don't answer it right away. But how do you regain your confidence, especially early on as an early surgeon after you've had a major complication? Um, you know, I, I'm very upfront with my patients when anything ever happens. Um, and I think that's the right approach and, um, honesty is the best policy in that. And then good documentation. I agree. Um, you know, I was talking to a colleague and, you know, he mentioned, you know, you just need to be, you have to have a pitcher mentality. You threw a bad, a bad ball, um, let it roll off your back and do it again. And it's going to take several tries. Um, I kind of think that my start to. Um, private practice is kind of like jumping in cold water. You know, the first time you jump in, you're going to hyperventilate a little bit and then you're going to acclimate. And I think I'm still in the hyperventilating phase and I'm okay with that. Um, but I'm expecting in the next, you know, couple months, maybe I'll get close to the water and, and be a little bit more comfortable with everything. Um, but yeah, my, my question to you guys is how do you regain confidence after something that's gone, gone wrong?
6: For me, it's actually seeing that the patients, in most cases, do okay, they're fine. You know, like Gary was talking about that little punch in the bag, like as long as you know how to manage it and, you know, you recognize it early. And even if you break the bag, you get the, you know, three piece lens in the sulcus, they actually allow them to see great the next day. Um, yeah. So luckily we're, we're in a field where, you know, most of these complications can be. And can still lead to very good vision. And that builds my confidence because you know that night I will be, you know, not able to sleep. I'm just like thinking about that patient. Oh my God, what did I do? And then the next day I see like, oh, their vision's pretty good. Um they'll be okay. And that's kind of how, you know, I feel like I get more confident the next time I see something similar. I feel more confident in managing it as well.
3: I, th- I think the hardest is when you have a complication in a busy OR day, like you break back maybe on your second case, and you still have six cases to go. I think it, it's very hard, I think, to get back up on the saddle and, and brush that off. I mean, it's something I still struggle with. But I think it's so important. And what someone told me this is to show yourself mercy that you've done everything that you could the best that you could in that situation, and really to help just to compartmentalize to, to kind of deal with that later and give your 100% to the next patient I think is so critical. And then I think you have to have a way to kind of cope with it afterwards. Is it calling a mentor, calling a friend, watching the video, kind of debriefing um, on the complication yourself. That's why I record everything because if something bad happens, I don't actually even remember what happened. It's helpful to go and watch the video and then I kind of reflect and see what went wrong and hopefully I can avoid that complication in the future and not make that mistake. So.
2: What's and the also, the
3: patient. Yeah.
2: What's the What's the ahead. difference? What's the difference between a mistake and a lesson? You learn from yeah. the lesson.
3: Exactly. So make every
1: complication a lesson.
3: Exactly. Right.
1: And you you'll know, become I'll, a
3: better surgeon for it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'll say this. You know, I thought I was a hot shot in residency. I mean, you can ask anybody; they will tell you <laughs> that I did. Uh, <laughs> um, case number three for me. Um, I had done two cases back to back on August 4th of my first year of residency. So I was literally one month and four days into my residency. I did two oh cataracts, which is not recommended. They both did fine. And I just thought, man, I'm I'm pretty good. I got this. <laughs> two <cases>. All right. <laughs> so case number three comes along and guess what? Nucleus drops. I probably remember this case specifically more than any surgery that I've ever performed, because honestly, if everything goes right, that's just like expected. That's that's like the default setting. Not everything went right. I don't remember anything about this. I was at the VA, of course, and that night I had a migraine headache. I felt like I had killed this guy, and 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 you know the ret, the retina fellow came over and did the vitrectomy and did the, you know, frag. And he was like, kind of mean to me, honestly, about it. He was like, put me <laughs> in my place, I thought you're a hot shot where yeah. it's good at this. You suck just like everybody else. So, you know, I mean, yeah. I made it something that it wasn't. Okay. I made that complication, like a fatal thing in my life that it was, it meant something about who I was. It it meant something about my identity as a surgeon or as a person. And, you know, it, there's one thing about learning a lesson and taking things seriously. You don't want to be flippant about having a complication because this, this is important. But there's a whole other thing about like letting it eat into your soul and absorbing that for all time, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a part of this where, you just want to say, okay, this is something that happened. It's not who I am. A complication is a thing. It's not me. And so I think that, yes, while while it's tough, and, I, and honestly, coming back from COVID, I, I dropped my third lens, okay, of my career on my first day back. And, you know, the reality was I was able to, you know, there was like, I think a quadrant that dropped. I didn't, you know, I got most of it out. I got the cortex out. I was able to like do a vitrectomy. I put a lens in the sulcus, you know, patient did fine. So now my, the same thing happened, but what it meant to me and, and how, how I dealt with it very different. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to remember that like, these are things in our life that are going to happen Maybe it happens a little more frequently. Maybe it happens at a point in your time when you're a little more vulnerable because you're just out on your own. But like, don't take those, those complications and yeah. make them a part of your soul.
2: Also, avoid having the fig jam mentality. Fig jam is, if I'm good, just ask me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no fig jam. That's right. That's right. I will tell you, as soon as you think you... You have mastered cataract surgery, it is there to kill you. Yep. (laughs)
2: That's what happens. (laughs) I mean takes a few years to learn and a lifetime to master.
1: I've also said this and on Uday, you can everyone can comment on this, but I've said this before. It seems that there is no limit to how much an eye can punish you. (laughs) Oh, I mean, so you need to get out of dodge sometimes. And uh, something Ravi said, Ravi Gull, who's on, who's who's watching this, he said, uh, "Live to fight another day." Even if you have to leave the Mayfakic and come back in and do okay. you know, a secondary IOL, that's so much better than just fighting with the eye when it's not in in good fighting condition. Yep. So pick your battles. Sometimes it's better just to freaking close the eye, see him back the next day, mm. just close shop. Time out. We're done for today. We'll figure it out tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, no one to hold them, no one to fold them, no one to walk away, no one to run, right? That's Kenny Rogers. That's, there's some wisdom. <laughs> in there there is. Yeah. So.
6: I had a patient like that, actually, like a traumatic cataract, really brunescent and really loose zonules, and halfway through the facal, the whole complex just dropped to the back. And I just stopped, closed the eye and left him an aphagic. And I told him, you know, you're going to need you know, to see my retina partner, he'll clean you out, and we'll go back in, and we'll put in a lens for you. And so I ended up doing a Yamani um, scleral fixated lens. And he ended up 2025, super happy, and like actually recommended our clinic to like a lot of his friends and everything because, you know, sp- you
2: care. You care. exactly.
6: in spite of the complication, we walked him through to the end, you know, and we were there with him every step of the way, we didn't neglect him you know, we were there as long as they know that you're there and this can be fixed, you know, they'll with you all the way. And so again, it's not with the complications, how you handle it. Exactly.
1: Absolutely. Uday, as we're sort of wrapping up here, um, I'd love to give you just sort of um, some, some time in closing, any further words of wisdom, anything else you'd like to just sort of give to our esteemed panels and all the people who are going to be you know, listening to this or watching it down the road.
2: Yeah. You're going to keep learning your entire career.
1: And if you're doing
2: your training, now you're doing your residency. One of the dumbest things I ever said, I've said many, was when I was a senior resident, I said, I cannot wait till I'm in private practice. It'll be so much easier. And of course now you think, Oh my God, of course not. Practice is so much harder. Residency is hard. And fellowship is hard the same way that 11th grade was hard the time you thought it was killer with five AP classes, but now you look back and think, ugh, that's a walk in the park. So same with your training. So keep up, be your own toughest critic, but also be your own most motivating person to keep learning and mo- more and more and more. And then I tell you, I learned so much by doing those cataract Coach videos, because if, if I'm going to make a video of something, I better really research this, and I choose topics that I want to learn and get better at. And it doesn't, every single week I learn something new and you've got to be that same way, but it is an amazing time to be an ophthalmologist. I choose this again in a heartbeat every day I wake up and I say, God, I am so lucky to be an ophthalmologist. And mind you, I'm working hard. I haven't seen the sun today. I'm still at work. I won't see the sun going home either. So it's obviously long days, but it's what I love doing. And I'm sure Gary, you and I, you kind of already mentally or financially, you can retire, but mentally, you're just so in the game. You're just loving it. You're in a state of flow. It's a pleasure. I hope my kids choose ophthalmology. It's that special of a field. I, and you guys are so lucky.
1: Hey, and I'll say this, um, you know, the best thing you can do when you have a complication is pick up the phone. I, I mean, I guess you guys don't even use the phone anymore, uh, but you can either text or call a colleague and tell them what happened and they'll tell you if they've had some experience they've been exactly where you are it's okay it happens to the best of us and you're you're okay you're going to make get, it get back and, on the horse and for for me one of the main reasons i like going to meetings and and of course you know we've not been to meetings for a while and we're doing zoom meetings which is you know what we've got just connecting with with our colleagues because there's not too many people in each of your cities who know what it's like to go through this. It's a unique experience. It's a unique privilege. It's also a unique challenge. So, you know, you need to have some friends in ophthalmology. You can call and be like, hey, man, I totally screwed up today. I dropped the lens. I broke the bag. And they're like, ah, it's okay, man. I, it happened to me too. And, you know, it just it feels a lot better to know, like, you're not the only one who's had a complication. Like, everybody's had a complication. It's going to be fine. You're going you're gonna to get back on the horse and you're going to be fine. So- having people as part of your group who you can count on, I think is, the, and that kind of is after residency, you lose that core group a little bit. Like you can still call your friends and co-residents, but it's important to develop a circle of trust of people who you can count on when you ha- when things go wrong.
2: You can email me eight or 10 yep. emails a day related to cataract coach about their specific case. And what do I do? I answer everyone.
1: Absolutely. Same with me. 2020 MD at gmail.com. Worst email address ever. I've been waiting for this year forever. (laughs) (laughs) No one is ever gonna want to remember the year 2020. My email address. Horrible. But I will be happy to answer questions as well. Hit me up on Twitter at cataractmd. I just want to thank again Johnson and Johnson Vision for sponsoring this. I love doing this. I love our panelists, all the wisdom that you guys bring to this. Um, and Uday, I mean, man, this is um, a real treat and a real pleasure. Uh, My to honor. Pick the brain of the cataract coach. So um, guys, gals, thanks again. It's been a wonderful time chatting with you all, and we'll, we'll pick it up next time.
0: Survive and Thrive is an independent program produced by Bryn Mawr Communications and supported by advertising from Johnson & Johnson Vision. This webcast podcast is intended solely for ophthalmic healthcare professionals and ophthalmic industry representatives. By accessing this webcast podcast, I acknowledge that Bryn Mawr Communications, LLC, here in BMC, along with any all third-party corporate supporters of this webcast podcast, makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information presented in this webcast podcast. BMC, along with any all third-party corporate supporters of this webcast podcast, do not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any of the opinions or information presented or mentioned. BMC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to reliance on in this webcast podcast.